Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. A little rainy this morning, but that's what we've been praying for, right? So God is good, and it's good for us to, to be together, to worship God on a beautiful Lord's Day. Will you get your Bibles out, please, and make your way to the Gospel of Luke with me this morning? Would you go to, will you go to Luke chapter 24 with me, please? I want to ask you to go to Luke chapter 24. We recently concluded Luke chapter 24 in our Bible reading. And I got to tell you that out of all of the chapters in the wonderful and amazing Gospel of Luke, the one that I am the most thankful for is this chapter right here. It is Luke chapter 24. I'm thankful that the story of Jesus does not end at the end of Luke chapter 23. I'm thankful that in the last chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus proved that he wasn't just another man to die on a cross. He wasn't like the other guys who had died with him on that day. He wasn't just another Jewish rabbi or a great charismatic religious leader to pop up on the scene in the first century. Instead, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is everything that he claimed to be. That is what the resurrection accounts and all of the Gospels verify. In fact, Luke's account of the resurrection is particularly interesting because he includes some witnesses to the resurrection that are not found in any of the other Gospels. And did you notice that? Did you notice that beginning with Luke, the 24th chapter in verse number 13? In verse number 13, the Bible says, And behold, two men. Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as, you walk, as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers, our rulers, delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward the evening, and the day is now nearly over, so he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he broke the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them, 
then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has, has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. I want you to allow those verses to really kind of just immerse themselves and, and soak in your mind for just a moment. Again, this resurrection appearance of Jesus this resurrection appearance here is only found here. It's only found in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 24, and it is particularly interesting for a couple of different reasons. First, it is interesting because this is the centerpiece. This is the centerpiece of Luke's resurrection account. I mean, don't you see that? Don't you see that here? Don't you see how there are more verses devoted to this appearance of Jesus than any other than any other of the eyewitness accounts in Luke's gospel. There are 23 verses. 23 verses are devoted to Jesus appearing to these two disciples, and we don't even know who these disciples really are. I mean, we know the names of one of them. One of them is named Cleopas, but who in the world is that? Who, who is Cleopas? And who is this other unnamed disciple with Cleopas? Was this Cleopas' wife? Was this Luke? Some scholars believe that this was Luke. The truth is we don't know for certain who this unnamed disciple is, but that's not even the most interesting part of the story. You see, the most interesting part of the story is not the identity of these two disciples. Instead, it is how Jesus appears to these two disciples. Notice how Jesus doesn't appear to these disciples like he appears to the other disciples. He doesn't appear to them like he appears to the apostles. He doesn't appear to them like he does to Peter and James and John and Thomas. He doesn't make it known to them that he is the risen Savior and allows them to examine his body. Instead, he appears to them as a total, as a total stranger. He appears to them unrecognizable while they are talking about what happened to him. The text specifically says that they were prevented in some way from knowing that this was Jesus. This would allow Jesus to kind of be like a fly on the wall. It would allow him to hear and observe how other disciples beyond the apostles were reacting to what happened to him at Golgotha. You see, what we find here in these verses, it's not found anywhere else in the gospel. It's not found in Matthew or Mark or John, and it just wouldn't be right. It just wouldn't be right for us to depart from the gospel of Luke without talking about this for just a little bit. And so will you do that with me this morning? Will you put on your walking shoes? Will you take a journey with me? Will you take a journey with me and two disciples and Jesus on that dusty road that led to Emmaus? And let's just begin by talking about the conversation. Let's talk about this conversation. Let's consider this conversation 
that is taking place on the road to Emmaus. Going back to the text, in verse number 13, the text tells us that while traveling to a place called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, two disciples of Jesus are having a very important conversation. Verse number 14 tells us that they were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place. Verse 15 says that they were talking and discussing. One translation renders that verse that they were conversing and debating. Conversing and debating about what? Well, what are they debating about? Well, they're debating about Jesus. They're debating about the events surrounding Jesus. They're debating about the word on the street surrounding his death and his burial and especially his resurrection from the dead. One of them was probably saying, well, you know what? We might need to start taking this resurrection thing a little seriously because a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are saying that, that they saw him raised from the dead. Some people are saying that, that an angel announced that, that he has been raised on the third day. We might need to start taking it seriously. But the other one is probably saying, are you kidding me? Resurrection, really? I, I mean, I know Jesus was a mighty man of miracles, but let's not forget he was crucified by the Romans. He was killed on a cross by the Roman army. Nobody can come back from that. They're debating this. They're having a very intense conversation about this kind of stuff. And when Jesus shows up and he starts traveling with them and questioning them about what they are talking about, verse 17 says that they're sad. They're very sad. They're very sad because they believe that the cause of Jesus is over. We see that when we get to verse number 18. Going back to verse number 18, notice how after Jesus, and they don't realize they're talking to Jesus. After Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? One of them, one of the disciples named Cleopas, basically asked Jesus, where in the world have you been? Have you been on the moon the last couple of days? Have you been hiding under a rock the last couple of days? You haven't heard about this man who was a mighty prophet of God and he performed mighty miracles and he was condemned to die by the Sanhedrin Council and he was crucified on a cross by the Romans. You haven't heard about this stuff. Where have you been? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know about this? That's what Cleopas asked. And that's hilarious, isn't it? Because if anybody knows about what happened in Jerusalem three days earlier, Jesus knew. Jesus knew because guess what? He was there. He was there for all of it. Everything that happened three days earlier happened to Jesus. If anyone knew about what happened at Golgotha, Jesus did. But going back to the text, notice what they go on to say, these disciples in verse 21 again. In verse 21, they say, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they, did, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they, they did not see. So notice here how while they do mention, while they do mention the fact that some women disciples and some of the apostles had seen an empty tomb, they don't seem to be very convinced. 
They don't seem to be very convinced that all that meant that Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, like all the other disciples at this, at this time, these guys, whoever they are, they are not anticipating a resurrected Jesus. We know that because in verse 21, they said, we were hoping. We were hoping that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Notice they didn't say, well, you know what? Some women told us they saw an empty tomb and we believe that meant Jesus raised from the dead. They didn't say, well, some disciples say that an angel announced to them that Jesus has been raised. And you know what? That means he is raised. We're good now. They don't say that. They don't say we believe in the resurrected Savior and said they say we were hoping. We were hoping that he was going to be the redeemer. The idea of the Messiah being the redeemer of Israel is actually a concept that is found all throughout the Old Testament. It is especially found in the writings of Isaiah. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 41 and in Isaiah 43. And Luke even talks about this quite a bit in his gospel. Keep your finger at Luke 24, but go to Luke chapter 2 now. Do you remember that prophetess named Anna? Remember her? She came from the tribe of Asher, and she worked at the temple, and she was blessed to see the coming of the Messiah. Well, in Luke chapter 2, in verse number 38, in verse 38, after telling us about how this widow worked at the temple and she served night and day with fasting and prayers, in verse 38 it says, at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for, oh, what are they looking for? The redemption of Israel. The people of God at this time, the Jews at this time, they're looking for redemption. They're looking to be redeemed. They're looking to be redeemed by a Messiah. Now, you and I both know today that their idea of redemption, for the most part, was incorrect. You and I both know, know, both know that today, we know today, their idea of redemption, for the most part, had very little to do with anything spiritual. Instead, it was mostly all physical and nationalistic. You see, today as Christians, since we know the whole story, when we think about redemption and Jesus being the redeemer, we think about spiritual things, don't we? We think about grace. We think about mercy. We think about forgiveness. We think about being part of the spiritual kingdom of God. As Jason said this morning, we think about being part of the church. That's what we think about as Christians today, but... 2,000 years ago, when the Jews thought of redemption, they didn't think of that stuff. They thought about war. They thought about military conquests. They thought about a Messiah who was going to be a military leader like David and provide them with liberation from the Roman Empire. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're not sad because they thought Jesus was going to be the redeemer who provided forgiveness of sins and would make it so they no longer have to offer animal sacrifices. That is not why they're sad. They're sad because they believe that Jesus was going to redeem Jerusalem from Rome. They thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah who established an earthly kingdom and would bring back the good old glory days of David. That is what they were anticipating. That is how they interpreted the Old Testament scriptures. That is why they are sad. 
when Jesus dies. These men want to be redeemed. They want Jerusalem to be redeemed from Roman oppression. And that's why Jesus has to now teach them. He's got to teach them. He's got to teach these disciples after hearing the lack of faith that these two disciples had in his resurrection. In verse number 25, he called them foolish men, foolish men who lack faith in all that the prophets have spoken. In verse number 26, he tells them that the suffering of the Messiah was necessary to enter into his glory. Who would have thought such a thing? Who would have thought that suffering was necessary for the Messiah to enter into his glory? In verse number 27, Luke also says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. When the Bible says they're all the scriptures, it's talking about all the Old Testament scriptures. It's talking about the Old Testament canon. It's talking about from Genesis to Malachi. Jesus cleared up any misunderstandings they had about the Messiah from Genesis to Malachi. He taught them the truth about Genesis to Malachi. He taught them the truth about the Old Testament. He helped them understand what the Old Testament is all about. It is all about him. It is all about what he was going to do to redeem men spiritually. That's what Jesus does. And then after doing that, he has supper with them. He has supper with them, and no, he doesn't have the Lord's supper with them. He doesn't have this meal that we're about to eat in a couple of hours from now. When the Bible says he has supper with them, it's talking about a common meal. A common meal in verse number 28. The text says that Jesus acted as though he acted as though he had to keep going on his journey. He acted as though that you know he had to keep going. On a journey that he was taking, and as he does that, these two disciples, they beg him to stay with them from the, for the rest of the evening. They urge him to hold off his journey, and since the day is almost over, stay with them and have supper. And during their supper, as Jesus breaks the bread and begins distributing it to them, their eyes are opened. They, they, they recognize him. They realize that they've been talking to Jesus the whole time, and then boom, he vanishes away miraculously. Again, this resurrection account is unlike any other we find in the gospel. It, it is unique to Luke's gospel. And I submit that when we study it very carefully, we learn some important lessons. Particularly, we learn some important lessons about Jesus and his relationship to the word of God. First, we learn from this dusty road to Emmaus that the word of God is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Notice again, verse 27. Luke 24, 27 says, then beginning... With Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. He does something similar with the apostles later in verse 44. In verse 44, it says, now he said to them, these are my words, 
which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You know, one of the main things, one of the main misunderstandings that so many people have about the Bible is they believe that the Bible is just a jumbled up mess. They believe that the Bible is just a bunch of stories. It's just a bunch of stories about a bunch of people who lived a long time ago and had great faith in God. For a lot of people, that's how they see the Bible. But Jesus says, Jesus says, don't do that. Don't make that mistake. Don't see the Bible in that way. Instead, see the Bible for what it really is. And that is one big story. One big story about him. One continual story about what he was going to do for the sins of mankind. From Genesis all the way through Malachi, the Old Testament is all about him. It's all about man's need for him and prophecies about him and God working to develop the nation of Israel and preserve the nation of Israel so he can use them to bring the Messiah into the world and redeem all of us from our sins the whole old testament whole old testament about jesus all the gospels about jesus all the epistles about jesus everything in the bible is about jesus and we got to challenge ourselves to see that we got to challenge ourselves to not just look at the bible as a bunch of stories but we got to see for what it really is and that is one book about jesus we learned that on the road to emmaus on the road to Emmaus, we see that the word of God is all about, it's all about Jesus. And that brings us to a second lesson we take away from this. And that is from this, we also see that there's always room to grow. Yes, the word of God is all about Jesus, but there's always room for us to grow in the word of God so we can be able to see Jesus better in it. I want you to think about these guys, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I mean, they think they got it all figured out, don't they? They think they got it all figured out about the Messiah and what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to redeem the people of Jerusalem and Jesus' death has just messed all that up. They think they got it all figured out. Like every one of us in this room, these guys needed to grow. They needed to grow. They needed to grow in their understanding of God's word. They needed to grow in their understanding of how Jesus connects to God's word. And thankfully, they had the humility to grow. Thankfully, they had the humility to listen to somebody, explain the scriptures to them better, and help them understand it better and how Jesus connects to it better. These men had humility. They had the humility to grow in their knowledge of the scriptures. The question is, are we like them? Are we like these guys? Do we have humility? Do we have the humility to understand that we don't have it all figured out? There's always room to grow. There's always room to learn more. There's always room to gain a fuller understanding and a more complete picture of Jesus in the word of God. I submit that if we have the kind of humility that these guys had, then we certainly won't be neglecting daily Bible reading. We certainly won't be neglecting immersing ourselves in Luke and Acts. We certainly won't be neglecting coming to Bible classes, and we certainly won't be turning off our thinking caps and our listening ears whenever the word of God is taught and proclaimed in this place.
from these guys, we see there's always room to grow in our knowledge of the word of God and how Jesus connects to every part of the word of God. And then thoroughly from this, we also see that the word of God is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient to produce faith. You don't need to see a miracle from God to, to gain faith in God. All you need is his word. We see that in verse 32. Look at verse 32. Verse 32, there's a phrase in verse 32 that is probably the most famous phrase in the chapter. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Verse, verse 32, once they realized that they had been with Jesus the whole time and after he vanishes, vanishes away, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was still speaking to us on the road? You're familiar with that statement, right? Our hearts are burning within us. Question, why are their hearts burning? Why are, their heart, why are their, hearts, their hearts burning within them? It's because of some miracle? Well, they've seen a miracle. We saw Jesus vanish away, but that's not why their hearts were burning within them. The scripture goes on to say, they say, without our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining what? That's what did it. The scriptures. No, no, no miracle. It was the scriptures. The scriptures is what made their hearts burn within them. The scriptures is what convicted them. The scriptures is what fired them up and gave them a great zeal and passion for Jesus. Their hearts were burning within them because they were taught the scriptures. And I got to tell you, I really like that because that shows me that preaching the gospel matters. Teaching the word of God matters. Proclaiming the word of God and what it says about Jesus matters because it can fire people up. It can inspire people. It can excite people. It can make people zealous and, and want to give their lives to Jesus Christ. It can produce faith in people and empower them to do wonderful things for the glory of God. In fact, that is exactly what, it ha what happens here. After these men say that our hearts were burning within us because he taught us from the scriptures in verses 33 through 35, we see that they were then motivated to go and do something. They were then motivated to go out and teach it. Right. After already walking seven miles to Jerusalem, when's the last time you walked seven miles at the same time? These men walked seven miles to Jerusalem. And if you say, well, I did that yesterday. Well, notice how the text says after they did that, they turned right back around and walked seven miles back to where they came from. They walked 14 miles. On the same day. They did that because they couldn't wait to share with others what Jesus had taught them from the scriptures. Their burning hearts within them put a desire to tell other people about Jesus. And if we have the same kind of burning in our hearts that they did, guess what? We'll be doing the same thing today. We also will be unable to keep quiet about Jesus Christ and what the scriptures say about him. We also will be willing to tell the people in our small circles of life about who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he can also do for them. What I just want you to see is the resurrection. The resurrection had a huge impact on these guys. 
It converted them. It convicted them. It convinced them that Jesus was the Messiah and the Redeemer, and it gave them zeal to immediately go out and start sharing that information with other people. And maybe there's someone here this morning who says, you know what, I want some of that. I want to be like those guys. I want to be a disciple like those guys. I want to be passionate about Jesus and spreading his word like those guys. Well, if that's your desire. I want you to know that's a noble thing to desire, but it all begins with you becoming a disciple, obeying the gospel today. It begins with you believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and letting that produce faith in you and then repenting and then being baptized into the death of Jesus and being raised, resurrected to walk in newness of life. Then after you do that, you can begin your journey with Jesus, our journey of faith and love and spiritual maturity and bringing other people to him. If we can help anyone here this morning begin that journey, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.